We here at the 180 Impact want to take just a moment to thank the friends and family of the late Dr. Jerry Gallagher for their contributions and support of the 180 Impact. Dr. Gallagher spent decades working in community mental health, corrections, and court settings. He provided consultation for many law enforcement agencies focused on hiring, critical incidents, and fitness for duty examinations. For over 30 years, he worked with these agencies, retiring only six weeks before his passing. He felt the need to be on call for these departments and for the officers who worked 24-7 for the public good and was compelled to do the same for them. Dr. Gallagher, we thank you. We thank the friends and family for your support and your legacy lives on. God bless. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the 180 Impact Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in and listening. Uh, we got Rob back with us. He's the unofficial co-host now. I'm going to drag you in here for all of these, but... Today, um, many of you know, and those that don't know, and our uh, new listeners, um, back in 2006, Rob was shot in the line of duty on a call-out, um, and I was there, I watched him get shot, and we each have our perspective on that day, what happened, obviously a very vivid memory, but thank God Rob uh, is obviously here with us today. So um, we're going to talk about, this is probably going to be a couple parts to this. I mean, we can go into the mental impact, the emotional impact, the comeback story, you coming back to work, but um, there are a lot of different parts to this. We're going to get Rob's take on it. Uh, I want to share a little bit about kind of what I experienced and what I went through uh, out there on the scene and what went through my mind. But um, I remember it's March 31st, right? 2006. I remember that um, it was kind of rainy that morning. Day before April's Fool's Day. <laughs> right. Um, we just lost Vern like a year ago. Um, we'd gotten called out. The call was uh, U.S. Marshals were in town looking for a guy possibly wanted for murder. And back then, s- cell phone pinging and tracing and all that was relatively new. So they didn't even have any idea whether this guy may be in there, may not be in there. But they took the road officers up there. And, and at the time, Rob and I, being part of uh, the emergency response team, we came in. Um, we got the road out of there first, they had set up a perimeter. Uh, U.S. Marshal had already been shot uh, while knocking on the door, shot in the vest. Uh, obviously, he, he survived. But as we get up there in perimeter, I just, like, it's funny how it's the same thing of, like, when people say, you remember what you were doing on 9-11? And uh, I remember getting called up there, you and me in the, in the box, we called it at the time, the truck. Uh, it was rainy. It was a little bit cold. Uh, we get up there on perimeter, and... Um, so Rob, just kind of like fill us in a little bit. I know that, um, we were up there for a few minutes, uh, we'd relieved road patrol. And so, uh, the floor is yours. Kind of tell me. Sure. Um, Tell us. I know the story. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us. Well, yeah, it was a pretty eventful day. You know, I remember like it happened yesterday, but I think part of it is that, um, it was kind of dreary. It was kind of raining. And I, I do remember getting the call from my friend Mike Slack, who was also on the SWAT team, was at home. And I pretty much just dropped what I was doing and walked out the door. I didn't even say anything to my wife and was in total work mode. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember on the ride to this station, you know, to get the box, you know, for the REACT team, thinking of what our responsibilities were. So, I was already doing visualization drills. That's one thing I do preach on. So I was already working on that. Um, getting 
Now, I don't mean to cut you off. I do because I don't care. Of course but you do. <laughs> we, we already knew going into this that a marshal had been shot. Yes. So the, it was ramped up. I mean, I think we tried to get there a little bit quicker than we normally would on something like this. So we, that's the information we had. So go ahead. Sorry. I just wanted to, like, add that in there for the people that don't know or are listening to this for the first time. Sure. Yeah, the, the call came in as just that a marshal had been shot. Yeah. We had a barricaded gunman. So, you know, we arrived, uh, got ready, and then we showed up at 54 Frisbee. So we took 52. over. 52. <laughs> it's 52 Frisbee. No, it's not. All right. We were we are going to verify this, but I'm right and Rob's wrong. Anyways. Well, maybe it is 52. Of, you know, I'm getting older. why we get along so well. So anyways, we were on Frisbee Street, <laughs> and we were part of the React team, first people that showed showed up, and we took positions that the road patrol were at, and I was positioned right in front of the house behind a squad car. It was a terrible position. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a video on it, which I reflect on and talk about as well, but I remember not being very afraid, you know, it definitely wasn't our first rodeo in something like this and we all have responsibilities and as a team you do what the team leader says and we took took over that spot like usual we all have our responsibilities and he was in the house I think we knew that the negotiators were discussing or had some kind of communication with him Uh, we did not know if the injuries or if there was anybody else inside. Uh, but I do remember just sitting in front of the house and what was our area of responsibility? So while sitting there, I remember looking to my right and there was a road patrol officer standing behind a big oak tree. I don't know, maybe 50 meters. It was very vivid to me. So as I'm looking over to my right, I remember thinking that he had this look of fear on his face. And I said, what a coward. And at that moment, I got shot in the face. That was the last thing I remember thinking of before I got shot. Now, I never heard anything. I just remember feeling this excruciating pressure on my head, and I fell down. Now, for for those listening that don't know about the incident, where did you get shot? And can can you run us through a little bit of that, how how that went down? Sure. So he... So, uh, anyways, <laughs> we're used to it. Hey, man, just chill out. Um, you got shot in the face, right? Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to paint a picture of. Um, I I think um, so. Yes, yeah, so I got shot um, in my left orbit, mm-hmm. and then I fell to the ground. I mean, I knew I had been shot in, in my side of my face or my head. I remember laying there and applying pressure to my face. And it hurt. I would say that the pain, I've had more pain-breaking ribs. Uh, I think it was just an overwhelming sense of pressure on my head. And I knew I'd been shot. Mm-hmm. So um, applied pressure. And I couldn't really move. And I remember 
taking my hand off my face and I was looking up and there was like this like kind of like a, a brilliant like white light and then it was pink and then I started choking and it was my blood going into my mouth so I had applied pressure again and at the at the time um There was like a sense of like that I might not make it for a couple seconds mm-hmm. that, you know, growing up as a Catholic, I said a couple Hail Marys really quick, asked God for forgiveness for all my transgressions in my life and sins, and I asked him to take care of my wife and my one-year-old son. Mm. Yeah. So it was hard, and I remember it very vividly, and after couple seconds I started doing like number drills like what's two plus two four or what day is it trying to stay conscious just right? trying to stay Some conscious and after and yeah so after yeah. a little bit I realized like I might make it mm-hmm. and then at that time the department was shooting into the house for suppression fire so that they could move my fat body <laughs> with full gear load you up and go load and go and they went to the hospital yeah so but i do remember that so i was not knocked out and i think that that was a very difficult time sure because you know obviously we were here and then he will leave earth Mm -hmm. and at that point i was like 32 yeah i thought that that my day had come and i did not feel ready to go so so i remember um I remember when they loaded you up, you know, putting down the suppression fire and all that and loading you up. And I remember uh, I remember hearing on the radio Doug Graham, who we've lost to cancer, but I think he was driving. He was. And all I remember on the radio was like, tell him I'm coming with a shot cop. <laughs> and I was like the last. It's funny how the mind processes and you. there's certain things you remember and certain things you don't. But uh, when that patrol, well, going back to the first the first part for me, um, I, I I go back to remembering a lot of like, I guess the shot goes off, right? And I see you drop. And you're kind of in the on your side in a fetal position. And it was weird that I didn't process what in the hell was going on until I saw um, the blood pooling around your head. And then, of course, you always expect to see somebody shooting at you. It was like this came out of nowhere, right? What just happened? Was it an accidental discharge? Sounded like a loud firework, like a loud crack. I mean, all these things are processing, and I'm just looking like what in the heck just happened uh, and loading you up. And then I remember mentally and emotionally, you know, people, some of the command staff that were out there after you had gotten loaded up and, and taken to the hospital, um, some of the command staff pulling me aside and really wanting me off of, out of the area, like, are you okay, and da-da-da, and um, so I know you get to the hospital, do you remember, do you remember arriving, I know Jeff Coons was up there, he was the one that actually called me, uh, let me know that you were still alive, still with us, and I, I thought, cool, because it was that first few minutes of, I'm going to be the one that has to tell your wife, do I call her? Do I go to the house where she, I mean, all these things at a hundred miles an hour. Um, 
that go through your head just as, as, as seeing all of this processing what happened to you at the same time. And I'm like, how do I tell your wife this? Where are they at? You know, having the command staff pull me back, but at the same time, you know, no, I got to be a part of this. And then uh, I know you got to the hospital and Coons had called me um, and said that you were, you were still, still with us and that you guys were heading to Kalamazoo. Um, you got the full ride, man, the full escort I did. over to Kalamazoo. And so, yeah, it, it's interesting being the person that was shot, you know, because obviously I'm seeing it from a whole different angle or feeling it. Yeah. And you're witnessing this happening. But I, I do remember the ride to the hospital. Uh, Jim Tulls was in the backseat with me, and Doug Graham was driving. And Jim did a great job trying to keep me calm and Doug calm. You can hear it on the radio or on the video yeah. of the trip to the hospital. So I do remember getting pulled out of this squad car, going into the hospital. You know, I still fully uh, geared up, had my gun still on me. And they were removing all of my clothing. I remember my clothes kind of getting cut off. And then I think they were just pumping me full of fluids. Mm -hmm. The other thing I remember is uh, I was vomiting. So I, and I hadn't even eaten that day, that morning. So it was all this like black liquid that I was throwing up. And later they had said that it was my blood that I was throwing up. So, and obviously I didn't know that till a long, till a couple years later, mm. but then I remember feeling okay because I think I was getting shot up with some, you know, good drugs. Yeah. So, you know, they packed the wound. Uh, I remember crime tech coming up and taking pictures of me and then I was transported to Bronson, Kalamazoo. Yeah. They shut down the entire 94, uh, 94 all the way over. Me. Yeah. All the exits and all that other stuff. So uh, obviously, um, you know, it's one aspect of everything. And you were, how long were you off work? I was off work for almost five and a half months. Is that it? Christ, man, you came back before I did. I just had a, <laughs> I just had a mental breakdown. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, uh, so let's talk about a little bit, all that's very dramatic with the, for, for officers and first responders involved in critical incidents like that. Um, when you started getting physically healing and all this other stuff going on that we can talk about later, um, I know you decided to come back to work. Was that more of, I've got to prove it to myself? Did you feel it was something you wanted to do? Or what was that process like for you? It was a long, arduous process. Yeah, I know that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I w wanted to come back to work. I think there was so much that went into it. Sure. When you think of like being shot and then realizing that you might not be able to come back to work and then dealing with workman's comp, dealing with city management, just dealing with your family, dealing with relationships with your loved ones. I would say just there was guilt. There was some fear and worry. So I had, I had a lot of emotions, and it was it was a five and a half months. It was a real struggle. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so did you um, like it that it, does that process involve like proving something to yourself? Like you have to come back, 
based on what? Did you want to come back to work because you still loved the job, or did you have something sure. to kind of prove to yourself? Oh, I love my job. I came back because I wanted to, to work. Okay. Because, I mean, sometimes it's like, I know I've gone through things before where it's just like, if you feel unlo- I, like you're, you're trying to prove it to other people, like I can come back from this, or, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that I went through cycles of that. Yeah. Like, maybe I should not come back. It's not for me. I'm never going to come back. I'll never make it. Uh, fear, you know, of getting shot again. The worry. But it was a slow process. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I think of like, hey, wh- why did you come back? You know, why did you push through all that? But there are so many things that I had to push through just to come and do a ride along with you for one hour. Yeah. Like, yeah three or four months later, yeah. which scared the shit out of me. Right. So but there was many things that had to come. Um, just suffering from major depression after that. I mean, I lost like 40 pounds in almost six weeks. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting out of bed. I had a lot of anxiety. I had a racing mind. I doubted everything it it was a lot of worry i could say there was a time that i didn't want to live anymore during that process Mm -hmm. it wasn't just like oh i'm going to come back to work it took a lot of courage and faith to get me back when you say like hey did you come back to work for the guys or the department or yourself or who did you come back for I would share this at this point in the conversation is that there was a time Aaron, that I did not want to live and that I did want to kill myself. I remember one of my coworkers, not you, wanting to come and take my gun and I didn't give it up. I believe my, my wife was already in the process of trying to have me committed again because I wouldn't even get out of bed or I wouldn't even eat. And I was like uncontrollably shaking. I could not stop shaking or sweating. Uh, medications were not working. And I remember one night I woke up and I was on the kitchen floor and I was shaking and it was really bad Mm. where I actually had grabbed my gun, Aaron, and I didn't put it to my head or anything, but I felt that there was just no way that I was going to make it just back to work and just to heal my marriage and work on trying to get on the right track with work and life in general that I really did want to end my life. And I think a lot of people would think like, how does somebody ever get to the point where they want to kill themselves? Well, that's a real thing too. Sure. I would have never thought that. And the reason that I didn't do it is there's two. Number one, it was for my one-year-old son, Owen. Number two, it was that if I would have ended my life, then everyone at the police department would have thought that I wouldn't be able to make it. And I did it for them. So I did it for the department. Mm -hmm. Not for me, just for the department. That you can make it through, make it. And that's why I didn't do it. Yeah. So when you're talking about going through a lot of that, being on the floor, having shakes, having such bad anxiety, um, 
there's a lot of people that came and visited. So what would you say to somebody since you have been in that spot? When, what, what is it that somebody can say to you? Because a lot of times when, say like, I come over to your house and you're going through something like that, people don't know what to say to somebody that's suffering like that, right? We don't know what you're going through. We don't know how you're feeling. So really it's just like, there's a, it's hard for the person that's trying to help. What, what do you think somebody could have said to you or could they have just sat there with you as, as we did many times? Um, you know, when you, when you're, when you're recalling, I remember sitting on your couch and you're like, Aaron, I'm not going to get through this. Puck, what do I say? Cause I mean, it's like, I can't discredit the way that you're feeling. So when you say the only thing that you know how to say is that like, you're going to be okay. And I don't even know if those are the right words, right? Like, well, it definitely doesn't come with a handbook. Correct. It went, sure. There's I mean, what do your friends say to you? I, like, what is that question? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people have good intentions. Like, it's going to be okay. I know you'll get through this. And people come. It's awkward. And they leave. But it's like every day for me. And some people like yourself came regularly. Some people came once. Some people just didn't know how to deal with it. I mean, what do you what do you tell the officer yeah because you don't even know you're like thank god it wasn't me <laughs> but there's a lot of things oh, that, that, that as police officers think like oh my gosh i can't believe my fellow officers are going through this and they're depressed and oh, why are they doing this you know and why is this happening like why can't like you just can't bounce back right away right but i think the biggest thing is just to probably be there mm-hmm. and, and, and just and, and just listen even if it sounds ridiculous the other thing is I would listen to those people that I thought were credible. Okay. And there were people that wanted to offer me like, hey, this is what I went through that I did not think were that credible. Okay. Or had that much integrity or would have, people think that they would have done something or they bring a really stupid example. Like, oh yeah, that's how I felt when this happened to me. And I'm like, are you effing kidding me? Sure. And I think that that was hard. Like, I think people will try to validate it or they come up with a time where they were, you know, were struggling. But the bottom line is that the, the person that's going to be able to help that person the most is somebody who has been through it. Yeah. And it's just the way life is. I mean, there are people that suffer from cancer. There are people that suffer from many things that have happened to them. But unless you've been there and made it, that's difficult. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to put context to that. Because well, yeah. And so that's really, the thing, what does somebody do? Somebody exactly. just shows up. Just sits there, if that's the yeah. case. Because, I mean, to, to say I, I really feel for, um, you know, the best people to help you are people that have been there. Not too many of us have been shot. <laughs> so what, I, what I'm saying is, or what I'm asking is that, is it okay for somebody that's in your position and suffering like that and going through all these things, if somebody doesn't have the answer, and doesn't know what to do, is that okay? Yes. Just to hang out like, hey, man, what are the words that you wanted to hear at that time? Because even I didn't know. When you're like, I'm not going to get through this, all I can think of is that, like, dude, I know you, and I know how tough you are, and I know how resilient you are, but my only words to you are, you're going to get through it. And I I think that's fine. Okay. I mean, that is fine. 
you're going to get through it. And if I said how, you're like one day at a time. And you're going to say, well, that's a nice cliche. One day at a time, you know. But that's what works. Yeah. And I think it's just knowing that you had my back. Yeah. And that you're there. Because really, a lot of people say you're friends. But they're there and then they're not there. Mm-hmm. But friendship and being accountable and is helping through the hard times. And that's my, would be my advice is, you know, visit them. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have any answer, but really just showing that you're, you're, they have support because they might not be in a position to even understand what's going on themselves sure, or whatever the magnitude of it is. How do you have a game plan for something that your, your game plan is day by day trying to get on the right road or just trying to, to recover when the last thing at that moment, two weeks out from being shot is I never want to put a uniform on again at that point. So there's so many variables of recovery. That's just for some, it might be very easy. Some might have multiple variables going on in their life at the time they're injured. And that might create other obstacles of recovery so and there's no right or wrong answer yeah so you get obviously you come back to work talk about a little bit if you can you you mentioned that first time like just getting in the car and doing a ride along so the first time that you came back we did a little bit of a ride along but we didn't even go down frisbee street and then eventually, I think it was Kremienko that took you down Frisbee Street. And then eventually you're able to, like, get out of the car in front of the house. So walk us through that process a little bit of, like, I remember specifically when you came back to work and, and jumped in that car with me, you made it very clear, don't go down, just don't take me down Frisbee Street. To eventually coming back to work, like, right, getting out of the car and standing in front of the house where you were shot. Walk us through what that was like for you. Sure. Well, I do remember the first time I did a ride along with you. I was in plain clothes, mm-hmm. and it was for an hour errand. And I remember getting dispatched to a check subject at Gogwek Lake. That was this. That was it. Suspicious, and I immediately broke into sweats. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like literally shaking, and that was scary. I mean, I was afraid because I'm thinking here, this is just a check subject, and I'm like sweating and shaking, and and. We went there, nothing happened, uh, came back. So the process of coming back to work an hour to two hours, you know, to like you're fully back, I think was just retraining yourself. I had to look at coming back, Aaron, like I was starting again. Mm -hmm. And one day is another step forward. Could be good, it could be not so good. To finally coming back for 20 hours a week to being doubled with somebody to being solo and then now I have to do my job and there were a few things that I kind of put in check right in the beginning is that I had talked that I still want to be on part of the SWAT team I didn't want to obviously get called out and I just want to be perimeter or just maybe just watch the van mm-hmm. but I still wanted to be part of that the other thing would be is that I working on being a survivor at the time i i was mad that i was shot and injured and this might end my career 
but I viewed it as it could have been any officer that was in my position. He did not choose to kill me, Rob Miller. I mean, he chose chose to kill the cop. Mm-hmm. And that is where part of that success comes from, is that I didn't personalize it. In the beginning, I did a little bit, but later on, I didn't. I said, hey, it didn't happen. I'm alive. I was successful in coming back to work, but I didn't personalize it. I was a survivor of being shot at. I was not a victim of a felonious assault with intent to murder, and I didn't constantly worry about it. Yeah. One thing that helped was I, I did pray before I went out. Mm-hmm. And I, I not, a lot of these things I probably haven't shared with people, but I did pray. I prayed every every day just to keep me safe and to not worry and did my Hail Mary and left the locker room and let it go. Because if I didn't, I'd be constantly worried. Mm-hmm. Plus, all the other issues or calls that was taking, I mean, it was busy. It wasn't like, uh, it was just a busy neighborhood. Yeah. There was a lot of violence. And that's that helped me to not personalize it. When you personalize it, you become a victim. You stay as a victim. And you know many officers that are victims. And being a victim can be being shot at, taking a personal, or somebody on a foot chase, and you take a personal. Like This is my city. Or why are you speeding on my street? It's not. Right. <laughs> You're in a job, and this job has... I'm not saying it's a consequence, but it's responsibility. If you're in law enforcement and you do not accept the fact that somebody might shoot you or you might get shot Mm -hmm. or hurt, then you're in the wrong profession. And that was something I also thought about. So coming back was simple. When I think of like what I did, it's exactly what I did when I was new. I started small and rebuilt the foundation when it came to like traffic stops or if it t- came to like certain calls and then it was a stress inoculation right stimulus response did a good job on that one come back it's just like an fto but i did it myself yeah and slowly after a while probably like maybe a couple years i felt pretty good was it that long i know when I you maybe like a year and a half i was gonna say i know that when you came back and you got your feet under you again you seem to be busier than ever like your proactivity, and I'm like, dude, I'm trying to get out of here at 10 o'clock. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, you got very proactive. I mean, like, were, do you, so you were very, very busy. You stayed very proactive on the road during your comeback. Was that something that you were just back into the groove, or did you feel that you are still trying to prove something, or how did that look? There were a few of the officers that had said, you know, that you don't have to prove anything. But when I look at it, like, I was pretty busy even before. Right. And then coming back, it probably, people were wondering, like, is he going to be the same? Will he chill out? Will he Slow take down. Will he take his lunch? <laughs> will he put the blinders on it? 30 minutes before your shift ends. Or, and, f- or five. And I, and, I, and I think that I really just became the same person. Just different. Because I, I there were changes oh, yeah. in what I did because of being shot. But I probably just ended up in the same type of 
behavior that I was beforehand. Mm-hmm. It just people weren't looking at it at the same. Because I would say I did this before I was shot. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, and that's huge. That's a that's a, a huge accomplishment. And I don't know the, the success of of doing that is, like I said before, don't look at yourself as a victim. Yeah. You're in, you're a police officer, and this might happen to you. Right. Okay. Um, so the really moving forward, and again, we want to give you, our listeners, kind of some different areas to talk about, like what you go through during a critical incident and being shot. So this, to me, was kind of like the overall view, right? We can, in, uh, in the future, we'll, we'll dig down specific, you know, you had a young child at home at the time, you have a wife at, at the time, still do, but you know what I'm saying? So all these different aspects, you have to deal with what, what's going on at work. You know, what, is your, what are your thoughts on that? So maybe we'll tackle some of that in some other episodes. But um, I know that you go around the country, given, given your testimonial, you're talking about being shot and coming back. And it's uh, um, your resilience is amazing. And I well, I am so an amazing person, right? Clearly. <laughs> clearly. I know. I mean, otherwise, you wouldn't be here with me. Well, you're paying me. I, I pay. I pay all right. That's for sure. So um, anything else? I mean, for this one, Rob, we just wanted to get kind of, uh, I know a lot of people know that story, but a lot of people don't. And um, uh, overall, I just want to kind of give everybody the outline of what it was like for you. What's coming in the future, right? Well, yeah, not only that, but just, I mean, as far as this specific episode and talking Mm -hmm. about coming back from a critical incident, because I mean, it doesn't really get any more critical than what you went through, both personally, emotionally, and professionally, what you had to overcome. So, I mean, different roads we can go down specific, but this was an overall good view of. Well, I think the biggest thing, Aaron, is that I'm here. Uh, The 180 Impact is a great way to reach people who want to listen to this. And yeah, I'm going to open up my closet and some skeletons are probably going to fall out. I would say that the best recovery for anyone that's been through like what I have been through, which involves, you know, obviously being shot, but I was also involved in two officer involved shootings where I had to shoot somebody. Right. Uh, One lived and one did not. So I can discuss those and how, how that impacted me. But the, but the reality is, is that in my healing and to help me, it's the through everything is that, you know, is the, sh- is the share. And I'm not here to share like what I always did really well, because quite frankly, nobody cares about your arrests or how many drunk driving arrests you made this month. Nobody really gives a shit, Aaron, about that. What do people care about? People want to know when you fell down and how you got back up. Exactly. And... So I'm willing to share a lot of different things about the career, the paths that I went down, why I went down that, why I chose certain things um, when it comes to like marriage and relationships, work, hobbies. So people have the information because there are those that won't share anything and then some people will share. Yeah. So And that's exactly what we're talking about. I, I mean, yeah, I was eventually going to bring up the other, I mean the other incidents that you were in as well uh, down the road, but yeah, having to take somebody's life or be involved in a shooting. And I mean, amongst all the other, other stuff that we dealt with, but we'll get to that. Um, you've got a lot of, uh, 
a lot of knowledge and your willingness to share that is what this is all about. So we appreciate it. And um, get comfortable. You can ask me some questions too. I'm just kidding. I don't. I will. <laughs> I know that we talked earlier before going on the air about like, am I supposed to interview you? We're supposed to like, we're just in all honesty, folks, we're just um, trying to chill out and, and hang out and, and share stories and share information that's going to help people. It's, there's no format to this. We're not going to put ourselves in a box as we get used to doing this. I'm sure you'll hear Rob put me down throughout most of the episodes, and I'll give it back to him, and we're going to have fun. So. Oh, it'll be fine. I know. Appreciate you sharing that. I'll discuss that. your most embarrassing moments to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Probably involved you. So, um, yeah, we're going to leave it there for today, and uh, we'll pick this back up in the next episode. So, Again, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this, share it with somebody. Just give them the information. If you're on iTunes, uh, give a review or whatever you want to do. And then uh, until next time, we will see you.